All right. So, this morning, if you came in a little tardy, not that anybody at Polaris ever does that, um, we're, we're working through this lectionary thing, predetermined hundreds of years ago what the lectionary cycle is, and, and the, we're on Malachi 3, which, which becomes uh, a to- the topic of money, like giving money outwardly to God's causes. And, and honestly, I'm just going to be real honest with you, I, I'm never like, I never love talking about money because there's so much pain associated with it. I've had people ask me to do the funerals for their parents because the parents' church wouldn't give them a funeral because they didn't give enough. Uh, on the news, you see stories of, of pastors raising money for their own G6 private jets. Um, you know, you give this money into our ministry and God's going to heal you of cancer. Like the negative stuff is out there, right? We know that, that the negative side, so, but the reason that I want to do this, and honestly the reason that I like to talk about these kinds of passages um, comes from the fact that, that I want you to know what the Bible really says so that then you're armed with, no, here's what the Bible says so you can interpret what it does and doesn't say when, when you hear things that don't sound quite right or that don't sit quite right. So that's what we're going to do this morning. I hope you leave here with an understanding of what the Bible really says about offerings, about giving, about generosity. Next three weeks we're going to be talking that through. So uh, to get our minds on that, let's talk Super Bowl. Um, obviously, I'll take a look. Uh, that is Robert Kraft, owner of the New England Patriots, and we all are rooting for the Patriots today, right? Everybody loves the Patriots. Um, Robert Kraft is with our, our friend, another great guy, uh, Vladimir Putin. And um, Vladimir Putin is holding, you see uh, right down there, the, the gold object, that's Robert Kraft's personal Super Bowl ring from 2005. So for whatever reason, it's 2005, 2006, and, and Robert Kraft is there in Russia with President uh, Vladimir Putin, and he lets him see his ring. He gives him his Super Bowl ring to, to look at, and, uh, and, and so um, this is a true story. Putin takes the ring, looks at it, puts it on his finger, looks at it, jokes about uh, the, the size of the ring, and then Robert Kraft uh, reaches out his hand for the ring back, Putin takes the ring, puts it in his pocket, is surrounded with KGB, and walks out of the room. <clears throat> so, Kraft goes to the White House, like, I assume, phone call, and tells them about it, and they say, and again, this is a true story, it would be in the best interest of national security and global security if you gave the ring to Putin. So that was the story he went with for about 10 years. But here's what I want you to take away and get marinating for the rest of the, of the sermon time. Um, Kraft had this possession, and even if it was misinterpreted, he did not intend for Putin to keep it. He, he intended to, to let him hold it, and then he would give it away back. Okay, so, so Putin kept, maybe stole, probably stole, what was intended for him to only hold momentarily. 
Okay, so, so just kind of get that marinate, and now let's, let's get back to uh, our, our scripture. So, um, we're going to look with that in mind, with that imagery in mind, um, at Malachi 3, and kind of break that down. So, David Simonitis, another guy making me feel old, because I went to visit David when he was a newborn. Come on up, David. And... Um, yeah, you're probably going to have to. You're a tall guy, so you might have to actually hold the mic. But he's got our lectionary reading for today. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in days gone by, as in former years. Thank you, David. So what we see here is God saying, and that's, that's the lectionary reading being read all around the country and the world and, and thousands of churches today. Um, God is telling his people, the Israelites, your hearts are not quite right, and I am coming to purify your hearts. So it wasn't like a gloom and doom thing. It was a, hey, your hearts are out of step. It's reflected in your offering, and I am coming to purify you. Now, what we know now is that that pointed to Jesus. Jesus wouldn't be here for another few hundred years after Malachi, but it's all pointing to the day that Jesus would come and ultimately purify uh, God's people, and that would be reflected in the way they offered themselves and their resources up to God. It would be reflected in their generosity, okay? So I'm going to go back, and we're going to read a little more from Malachi 3 and keep going. So I will come to you and put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress widows and the fatherless and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So what we can see here is that God is saying, it seems to me anyway, that God is saying there's a root cause here, and it's kind of like a me first. Like you're turning to sorcery, other gods, the occult, Ultimately, to get ahead, that's why we consult, you know, mediums and psychics to try to to get ahead. You're trying to gain for yourself and not being faithful to your spouse. You're lying in courts and depriving widows and orphans. And God doesn't like say, and I'm coming to eternally punish you. He says, I'm coming to purify you. And that's important because if any of those things are things that you have in your background, you think, ah, that hurts. You can see that. I mean, God ultimately wants to purify us and restore us. God is a God of redemption and restoration. But he says, hey, be ready. This me first thing, I'm going to purify that. It's not right, and I'm coming to make it right. And then it will be reflected in your outward generosity. So, um, as we think about the me first thing, that desire to gain, most of what he quoted there had to do with, with money. And when we think about offerings and generosity and giving, a lot of that, and we're going to talk about other things in the next two weeks, <clears throat> but this morning we're going to talk about the financial side of that. 
And what I think you'll see, not only in Scripture, but I think what you would also, I think what you would agree with, is that spiritually speaking, money is a volatile element. Money is a volatile spiritual element. Now, I have seen many wealthy people do things with their money extremely generous and godly. I have seen spiritual leaders all over the place who have wealth. So money isn't essentially awful for our spirits, but you have to agree, I think, that money certainly can be. I've seen tight-knit families be destroyed like that. Somebody dies, now there's an inheritance. And it gets awful and ugly like that. Because money can flip us to some very dark places to do some very dark and deceptive things, some evil and hateful things, when money takes over. So money is volatile. It can be used for great good, and it can also destroy us. Now, side note. True or false? The Bible says money is the root of all evil. It's false. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So money is not inherently evil, but there are many kinds of evil that the love of money can lead us into instantaneously. Like we can be minding our own business and all of a sudden money and a desire for it and the desire to have it and get it and keep it can destroy our souls. And Jesus wants us to be very aware of that. So I'm going to turn to um, one of the teachings of Jesus. And this is one It seems to me that one of the main reasons that money can be so dangerous for us is that it can create a perceived security that distances us from God And it also, as we gather things with our money, more and more stuff, it like demands more and more of our attention to take care of the stuff that we have and to acquire more. So money can keep us distracted our whole life. So Jesus, I'm going to read you from Luke chapter 12. And and just, this is a great one, like if you're just learning, scroll. it doesn't matter what level you're on. This is a great Bible passage to have well memorized. If you have kids, it's a great Bible passage. Like it's on my list of by the time my kids are out of the house, I, I want by the time they're like 35, I want them to, to have this memorized. I hope I'm kidding. <laughs> Do not set your heart on what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. Your Father knows what you need, but seek first His kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has seen fit to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that aren't going to wear out, things that aren't going to be destroyed by rust, moth won't ruin it, treasure in heaven that will never fail. Then he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he's giving us guiding principles. 
He sees the danger of wealth. He sees the danger of these temporary things that we run after. Because maybe when we've achieved financial gain and we have ourselves set up, for we don't have to worry anymore about our physical needs, maybe we've put ourselves in some pretty dangerous spiritual territory. Maybe we've put ourselves in a dangerous spiritual environment because having to rely on God for things is essential to our spiritual growth. Now, I'm not saying that we can't have a reserve, that we can't have the rainy day fund, the boiler fund, whatever. But I am saying that we need to be careful because if we pursue the American dream... For lots of stuff and lots of financial security, we could also be just kind of shutting a need for God out. And God becomes this nice little added ornament for the mantle instead of what we absolutely need to live and breathe and move. In another parable about spiritual growth, Jesus compares our souls to seeds. He says that some seeds that are planted in soil flourish, others are choked out and die. And then he gives the conditions that produce growth and produce spiritual death. He says the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who has heard the word. He's heard God's way of life. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness, it's an interesting word, the deceitfulness of wealth. Choke out the word and make it unfruitful. So these temporary things, this false idea that if I just have this can keep us occupied and distracted our whole life can keep us from pursuing the eternal things of God and focused on a lot of these external, temporary things. And that can be spiritually dangerous. So, knowing that money is volatile, knowing that wealth can either be used for great spiritual growth, I've seen God do amazing things, or money can destroy us, God gives us this kind of prescription. He tells us what to do. So that we can keep money in the right perspective. And it's, it's hardcore. I mean, this is, this is some of the tougher stuff that, that you're going to read, okay? But I think it's important that we read this and wrestle with it and can frame up, okay, this is what the Bible says, this is what it doesn't say. We can interpret what's, what the you know, televangelists say and what they should say and mean and all that. So here we go. Ready? Back to Malachi 3. God says... You rob me. And you're asking, how are we robbing you, God? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I have not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. The vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land. So this is 
the tithing concept. And tithe literally means a tenth part. It means one-tenth. First 10% goes to God's causes. And I know that that's a lot. And I can't tell you where God wants you to give your 10%. Couldn't even begin to tell you that. There are all kinds of His causes everywhere. But I can tell you that God does consider the first 10% that we make His. And that's harsh language. You rob me. God says, I gave you my Super Bowl ring to look at. And you kept it for yourself. Now here's a stat for you. Christian stat experts say that around 75% of everybody who says that they are a Christian and their faith is important to them. So they, they say, yes, I'm a Christian, and yes, my faith is, is important to me. 75% that say that also say that they do not tithe. So if you're looking at Malachi uh, 3 language, that means that 75% of all Christians rob God. And we would never, like, like, we would never steal money from our neighbors to pay for Netflix. At least I hope not. But maybe without doing it intentionally, we're actually robbing God to pay for some things that we don't really need. And I know, I, I want you to know this, I'm not, <clears throat> this has nothing to do with, like, like, we're not asking for G6 airplanes, this is just the word of God. I, you can see that we don't sit on golden thrones, this is not about that. Like I, I say that for every pothole in our parking lot represents a hundred children in Ecuador that have food and medicine in Jesus because we send money out there. So this isn't like, this isn't that. I want you to see God's plan for our, for our stuff, okay? I'm going to talk to two groups now because I know that's harsh language. First group I hear from is the pain of hearing that and knowing that you're in a place in life where, where you have to like receive generosity. Like I talked to I, I've talked to like single moms, people who've been through some difficult things and are in a season of life where you're like benefiting from the generosity of God's family. Like people are are supporting you and you're tired of that and you wish that you could give more and you long for the day when you can be generous to others and bless others the way they've been supporting you and you're not there yet and it's frustrating and listen i'm not saying that you should write off malachi 3 that's between you and god but i'm saying that you may be in a season of life where god's saying no i want you to see my love poured into your life through my family through the church and then eventually you'll be to a place where you can be generous like i don't know that god is like trying to show you Malachi 3 to squeeze more out of you. It may be that you're at a season where you need to receive God's generosity from, from us. So that's the first group. Now the other group, um, the other group is, is a little more, I'm a little more concerned about. Um, 
I can recall someone, a friend of mine, who we, we, were, at a, we were at a conference, uh, a financial conference of some kind. I don't remember when. It was probably 15 years ago. Um, and the, the presenter was talking about tithing and the biblical principles of tithing. And he looked at me and he's just like, we can't. We can't. It was like that defeated, like, well, we can't. And that's, I mean, it's a lot of money, right? 10% luxury car payment. Um, but I, I knew him, and it's like, you know, probably quarter million dollar house, $40,000, $50,000 truck, high-end sports memorabilia collection. We can't. Is relative to the lifestyle that you choose to keep. Now, listen. I don't judge anybody. I don't like I didn't look down on him. And you need to know that I don't like like I don't scour the offerings and like, you know, try to size you up like, oh, 20 bucks. Hmm. Because the truth is, listen, <laughs> you could give five bucks, you could give nothing to Polaris and be given 50% of your income to some other cause of God, and I wouldn't know it. So I don't like I don't look down on anybody. I, I but this is like like for my friend. If, you were to, if I were to get together with you and you had four or five beers and got in the car and drove off, like I'm not judging you or looking down on you. I'm concerned. You're doing something that's dangerous. And I'm not you know, concerned about your eternity, but I'm concerned about your spiritual health when there's these principles. And so you know, I, I'm, I say that back to, back to the case study. There's also the person, there's the person that says I can't and their life is such that maybe they just need to be receiving help from God's family. But there's also sometimes we say I can't and really we can't because we choose to not have the margin to be generous the way God wants us to be generous. And I think we need to be aware of that. So here's what Jesus says, because that's all Old Testament, okay? Here's what Jesus says. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin. You even tithe the spices in your spice rack. But you don't care about orphans and widows, the fatherless, those in need. You should have done the former without neglecting the latter. So what he's saying is, I don't go thinking that you're awesome because you give a lot of money. Yeah, that's great. You should do that. You should give a tenth, but you better back it up with the way you treat people. So Jesus, like he always does, stretches us further than the letter of the law. He's like, no, 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 you don't get to check the God box by giving 10%. Like that's, that's something you should do. So we follow Jesus. Jesus says that's something you should do, but you better care about people too with your actions. So Jesus takes us even further than that. But at least that. So if we say we follow Jesus, we have to take this seriously. Now, I'm going to close out like this. And for those of you new to Polaris, I know this is a lot. And you're going to hear me. This is not normal for me, okay? But I'm, I'm going to testify. And I wish I could say that cooler, but I can't. <clears throat> I want you to know my experience with this. Because I, Alex Poindexter, before God, and I'm not saying that lightly, I'm standing here before God, my creator. I am telling you that I know of no other biblical principle, no other place where God provides more evidence for his existence, for his realness, 
than this biblical principle. There is no place in the world that I see God more true than how he responds to Malachi 3 and his promise there. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in the lives of other people. There is, in the best way that I can say this, is a secret society. It's not organized. But there's a secret society. The 25% of Christians who are obedient to that, they know. They know that God shows up when you trust him like that. And I'm not saying if you're not there that you don't trust him, but when you go to that level, he shows up and you see that and they know. And I could open this mic up and there would be story after story after story, jaw-dropping. I, like, I wish I could get my atheist friends in and like just, you know, Put what I know and have seen into their mind from this because it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I have never, I have never had somebody come up to me and say the opposite. Like, yeah, I really regret starting to tie that really ruined us financially. Or really, whatever. Man, life went downhill when I started. On the other hand, I have seen story after story of people who said, we just decided to take steps toward that, and, and wow. And so I want you to know, I don't take this seriously. And, and if, you, if you think there's some kind of ulterior, give it somewhere else. Just find another God cause. There's lots of them out there. But I want you to know, There's just nothing that I know of. Nothing that I know of where God shows up. And it's like, it's like, on so many levels, because it's like, number one, you start to do, and you see God respond. It's like, oh my gosh, this God thing. Like, I I knew he was real, but I I, I see it now in new ways. It's amazing. You start to believe that God will provide for you. And all of a sudden, it's just like, God's just going to handle it. You also get to benefit from experiencing true generosity. It's like when you give more to more people in need, and it does more with you, do more with your resources, it's just, there's a fulfillment there that's just, wow. So on so many levels, really, I'm going to close with this scripture. (laughs) Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on all your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Honor the Lord with your wealth, and your barns will be filled. First fruits of your produce, and your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will be bursting with wine. When we trust God, hands open, and take steps to show him that, he always responds. And what you'll know is how faithful God really is. So during this next song, just kind of take it in. I know this is, this is a lot. It's kind of intense. But contemplate the faithfulness of God and ask, what's God telling me? Let's pray. Father, you, you are the giver of so many good things. You've given us more than, than we can imagine, more than we even know. And, and I know that I know that you love each and every person here regardless. Regardless, you, you, you love them. You, 
or your children. Please speak to us and and gently call us into, into places of obedience where you want us so that we can experience all of you. In Jesus' name, amen.